We hope that this message will help guide you toward positive, Christ-centered change. By reviewing this podcast, you could be part of spreading the good news. Please also consider giving a donation to our ministry at cometoabc.com slash giving. As always, these messages are available to copy and share on social networks. The one, the one goal I have for us this morning is, through the message, is to, uh, to hear from God. Not, not to hear from me, uh, not to be impressed by anything that's said or anything that's felt or anything like that, but just to, to in some way be drawn closer to God by His Holy Spirit. Can you pray in agreement with me over that before we begin? Lord, uh, we, we come to you not completely whole, not completely well, broken, infallible people. But Lord, when we meet you in that place, it says that you raise us up. That you bind us together. And that a broken vessel can become more valuable than even one that was never broken. So God, you're reshaping us and you're remolding us and you're creating us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. But that doesn't always feel good. Lord, I pray that we would hear from your Holy Spirit today that you would speak to us individually what you need us to hear, but you would also speak to us corporately as a church what we need to hear together. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Everyone said, amen. So we're, we're going through the Beatitudes and looking at the kingdom of heaven, and we're calling it the upside-down kingdom because the kingdom of this earth, the world, if you will, has value and values things differently than Jesus does. See, Jesus came and he started teaching, and what he taught was really revolutionary. It was, it was different than what everyone else taught because he was saying, blessed are the meek and humble. And he was saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who seek God and hunger for righteousness. And what everyone else was used to seeing and 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 actually elevating in their minds was people who have it all together. I mean, people with the nice white picket fence and the nice car without any car payments and the perfect job and, and the trophy wife or trophy husband and the people where the kids are always listening and they're great at sports and they're perfect. Have you ever known the perfect family? As soon as you're around them long enough, you see what? Imperfections. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were really good at trying to to push this image of themselves as being perfect, as being better than other people. And it hurt everyone else. And that wasn't what God wanted. So when Jesus came and and taught on the mountainside, he said he went up on the mountainside. He was he was doing what Moses had done, and he's going to teach the extension, the continuation of of his law to the people. But it's different, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. It's different because it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of the heart. Everyone say the heart. The heart. How many of you have had a child obey, but their heart wasn't in it? (laughs) Have you ever had a a child where you get that stern talk to, and as you're talking to them, they, they recognize that the consequences are not worth their negative actions, so they agree to go along with it. But you know what they're really agreeing is to disagree. You ever been there? 
I've been in the opposite situation where I'm pushing the buttons and everything else. See, what Jesus does is he says it's not about the law. It's not about perfectly adhering to the law. Instead, it's about the heart. Everyone say it's not the law. It's the heart. So this, this is what God is doing within His people, within, within these people that He's talking to. And realize when He's talking to these people, these are not the up-and-coming people. They're not the, the positive, moving, good crowd to be in. These are the people that are kind of the fishermen, the factory workers, the people of the world that are kind of nominally religious, but they're not perfect like the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and like the pastors and the prophets and the evangelists and everything else. They're missing some things according to the world. And Jesus starts this off, and he flips everything upside down. He says, this is what it takes to be in my kingdom. You want to be part of this kingdom. You want to sit and rule. You want to do all these things. Then here is what it takes. And if you want to open up your Bible today, I encourage you to do that. We're opening up to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to go near the end of of this in, in a little bit. So just kind of keep your finger there. This is where we're camping out. Verse 1, it says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I was teaching this to the kids midweek, and I realized that there are areas in my heart that God needs to heal, and everyone says amen, right? (laughs) It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I turned to my mom, and I said, then I'll show them. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. And we could get off and we could talk about all of the things that are wrong in our world and how we need to, as the church, be out there fixing these things, the social issues, the injustices. And I think that's true. We need to be a part of the voice that's speaking positively in that area. But realize that righteousness does not come from our own mind and from our own ideas of what's right and wrong. Who does righteousness ultimately come from? The Lord, God. So who defines what is righteous is God himself. God defines what is righteous and what is good. So we can get get into the mode of, of... looking around and, and feeling like we need to fix this situation and fix that. And, and those are all well and good. And, and I thank the Lord that we are an active church in, in ministry and we've got the prayer blankets and we have the different things that are going on with kids' coats. And, and we need to do those things. We absolutely need to do those things. And, you know, the Ladies' Fellowship is active and the missions team is active. And, and then all of you, I hear little stories here and there of, of what you're doing to serve the Lord and to serve each other and to, to serve outside of the church. And I thank God for that. That's good. That's really good. But sometimes, and this has happened with with me personally, I get trapped in the idea of fixing and doing 
And in so doing that, I just move more and more towards this, I have to, I have to, I have to, I need to, I must, I must. And, and everyone's counting on this, or, or I have to go help here because this is such a great need. And I neglect the dwell. I, I, I focus too much on the do, and I neglect the dwell. And we're called to, to dwell in the house of the Lord, amen? And that's not, that's not talking about just coming to church. That's talking about an intimacy and, and a closeness to Jesus Christ, a, a revelation of who he is, and, and that it isn't a list of do's and don'ts, but it's a, it, it's a closeness that we are to be in. And, and too often I've neglected that for the do instead of the dwell. And then I, I wonder why my do isn't really good. I wonder why it doesn't feel right, why I'm running out of energy. How many of you felt like your do went up and done left? <laughs> or if you do too much, it starts to smell like do, 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 right? See, what, what God and what Jesus in, in, in this text right here is asking us to do is to hunger and thirst. How many of you are hungry right now, physically? <laughs> Yeah, you're physically hungry. How many of you are physically thirsty? How many of you ha can remember the point where you have been the hungriest in your life? Maybe you had a surgery, an operation, medical procedure, and you had to fast for a length of time. Or maybe you've been somewhere and you've been without water, and you get that, that dry mouth. You get that swollen tongue, and, and you go through all the circumstances Isaiah 55, verse 2 through 3, it says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. That's a good word, right? Hear that your soul may live may live. This text here, it goes on before and then after, and it talks about how the Israelites were pursuing other gods, and they, would move, they moved into the area, and, and they looked around, and they said, well, they have a physical god that I can worship, and, 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 and so they started adding things on to Jehovah, and they started adding things on into their faith that weren't of God. And they started saying, well, I'll take a little bit of this and I'll take a little bit of this and I'll, you know, it'll be all good and I'll still worship God and everything, but I want some of this too. I want to be like the other people. And God has this word for them and he says, why do you spend your money? Why are you spending your hard work on bread that will never satisfy? Have you ever eaten something that did not satisfy? Some of the food stuff that is out there that is sold to us is really weird. Like I, uh, I was in a hotel a number of years ago, and I went to, to get that creamer that they call, you know, the powder creamer. And I looked on the back of it, and it said that the interior of the stuff was made in a plastics factory. Uh, the same factory that, that made the plastic bowl is making my creamer. How many of you know I didn't drink that? <laughs> I didn't eat that. See, see, the Israelites were going after something that would not help them. They're adding something that didn't need to be there. And it, it was costing them. 
Jeremiah talks about being thirsty. thirsty. Chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, it says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How many of you, maybe some of you that are a, a little bit uh, more mature, <laughs> I'll use my words wisely, right? More mature and wiser. How many of you have seen a cistern before? So, See, I, I think we had one in our old carriage barn at the house. And we had one in the house too? So we had two of them. Well, I should have been behaving better than that. They could have put me in them. You realize that cisterns in the Old Testament were used as prisons. It was Jacob that was placed in one that was dry. And, and the cistern was out there because it was a dry climate. And so at times they would have to take these and they would take the springs or the well that would only work occasionally and they would fill the cistern to hold the water that would supply them through the dry spell. And, and what this verse is referencing is people who go out and they dig. They dig a cistern, but the walls are cracked and broken. So what happens when you put the water in it? Anyone guess? It goes away. It disappears. Like you open it up, there's less and less water. It's cracked. It's broken. It leaks away. And what God is telling his people is here, you, look, I already have a well. I have a spring for you, and it's flowing all the time. And you've said, well, I can't trust that for sure. I'm going to go dig my own and try to scoop some of that water and save it for later. And what happens to that? It goes away. And they're out there searching for things that will not quench their thirst. They're out there looking for something to bring them joy and hope. And in our world, it's no different. We have a lot of people who are searching for something that only God can give. And they're looking, they're looking with lust. They're looking with addictions to alcohol, drugs. They're looking with uh, every selfish intent in their heart. They're thinking if they just got a little bit more money, if they just had the better job, if they just had a better situation, if they were just here, if they were just there, if they just had their dream home, then God would satisfy or they would feel like they're satisfied. But it says they're thirsty and they're never getting anything. How many of you remember the old cartoons where uh, the guys are always wandering the desert and what, what do they see? An oasis, right? <laughs> they see the palm branches. They see, hear the music even, and then there's this pool of water. And they go up and they start drinking it, and what does the water turn into? Sand. Everyone's seen that cartoon like 50 times because there's 50 different ones of them. That's what happens in this life and world. The, the devil, Satan, the enemy, is telling you, this is good stuff. You need to drink some of this. You're thirsty for this. You're hungry for this. There's a term that's going around. They're thirsty for this. They're hungry for this. And when you go and you take that, it doesn't satisfy. It does the exact opposite. The exact opposite. So, so a cistern will trap you. A broken cistern will trap you into thinking that what you're doing is you're, you're, you're helping yourself. You're building it up. You're getting it going. But you're neglecting what God has already given you that you don't even have to work for. How many of you have been in a conversation before where you shouldn't have had that shovel that you kept digging a hole deeper with? <laughs> and, and the world will tell you, just dig harder, just dig deeper. You'll hit it eventually. Oh, if you just had a little bit more success, you'd be okay. Never quenches the thirst. Never satisfies the soul. Always longing for more. 
So Matthew 5, 6 is talking about the the universal experience that we go through where uh, one person called it the God-shaped hole that's in our heart and in our life. And when we try to fill it with anything else other than God, then we can lose perspective. But as Christians, we're not usually trying to fill it with other things. We just start supplementing. You ever try to supplement your faith with something else? Like maybe if I had Jesus plus, it, you know, it's, it's Jesus plus all these other things. And we start adding and we're losing focus of the well, the thing that God has already given us, the thing that he is continuing to give us. But it requires patience and presence. See, I think one of the reasons why the Israelites went after the idols and the idolatry is because it was easier in some ways. You see, it's easier to worship something you can control. It's easier to place your focus and hope on something that you can tangibly see. And that's what they were doing. Instead of focusing on the one true creator and the God who had rescued them, they're placing their hope in things and other stuff and exploits, and, and wealth, and everything else. And maybe they even talk themselves into some of this stuff by saying, well, if we have some of their idols around, they'll want to do more business with us. If we come down to their level a little bit, it'll be a little bit better for us, and, and we can have both things. And, and God says, no, what you need to do is hunger and thirst for me, not for anything else, because I'm the one that can fulfill your soul and spirit's needs. We can't do it on our own. We can't just do, we have to dwell, right? We have to dwell with God. We have to be there. So back to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to turn the page. You probably have to turn the page. Maybe you won't have to. But verse 20. We're going to define righteousness a little bit here because I think that's important. If Jesus is talking about righteousness, we need to see what he says about it, right? So we're looking at it within the context of this book. It says, For I tell you, verse 20, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now realize the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were very good at obeying the law. They didn't commit adultery. So if you go down there a little bit further, you're going to see headers in your Bible maybe. You're going to see verse 21, it talks about do not murder. And then it says, verse 27, do not commit adultery. Verse 31, do not divorce. Verse 33, do not take an oath. Verse 38, don't take an eye for an eye. Uh, verse 43, it gets really hard. Love your enemies. See, they were good at, at some of this stuff, but what Jesus does is he doesn't say, forget the law. He doesn't say that. What he says is, look, guys, you're focusing on the do. But what I want to focus on is the dwell in your heart. What I want to focus on is your relationship with me. Is your heart close to me? Is this really what you want to do? Or are you just being obedient? Are you just not committing adultery, but you let your eyes roam around and you let your eyes and your thoughts go in places that they shouldn't? Are you just not committing murder and you're okay there, but you're looking at your brother or sister and you hate them and you want something bad to happen to them? Is that your problem? Are you wronged? Are you hurt in some way? And then you go after them because you can do that because that's justice. He says, I, I don't want you even there. You need to surpass that which the Pharisees do. And you need to focus on the what? The heart. The heart. So question, 
Is this an easier word that Jesus is giving us or a harder one? It's harder in some regards. But I want to show you that it's just a little bit easier in another way. Because it isn't based on our dues. It's based on his done. Right? So how does it, what does that mean? He paid the price for your sin. And so you don't have to carry that guilt around anymore. So maybe some of those things that we just read through, you've had some of those in your heart and in your mind. Jesus says, I'll take that and I'll get rid of it. And I'll take you out of that cistern that's broken, that prison that you're in. And I will set you free. And when you are set free, you are free indeed. But here's the catch. Your heart begins to be changed by Jesus Christ. And it says in Scripture, it says that he'll take your heart of stone and give you what? A heart of flesh. A soft heart for him. So, so here's what that means. Is it means that our salvation is not based upon whether or not we can complete the Ten Commandments correctly. It's based upon the, the Calvary and what Jesus paid for us and the forgiveness of that because we, can, we can't complete all of those. And, and because he's forgiven us, what he said is, I will give you a new heart, and, and I'll give you a new name, and I've changed who you are, and you, you are now born again. And when you're born again, he starts to change your heart. And it's not always fun, guys. He, he starts to change your heart, and he turns it from stone and from cold and from law, and he turns it to love. Love him first. And you, you begin to transform through the power of Jesus Christ. And your body is the temple, and God is living inside of you. And so he's taking you through this stuff, this mess that's in your heart. Have you ever gone through something in your life where you're looking at yourself and say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe that's still there. And what he's doing is he's showing you the interior motives that you have. And he's saying, I don't just want rule followers. I don't want religion, and I don't want religious people. What I want is somebody who is close to me. Close to me. Because when you're close to him, he begins to take those things and peel those things off. How many of you have heard that people are like onions? <laughs> There's always deeper layers. Shrek, yeah, Shrek told us that, right? But as he peels those things off, he begins to reveal to you his mercy and his grace and his love and compassion and his love. And that's what sustains you. It isn't what you can do. It's what he's already done. It's what he's already done. So, yes, when we read through these things, you know, do not commit adultery, we're to do that. Uh, you know, th all these things here are things that he wants us to do. But realize he carries the law a step further and he says, look, don't just do these things. Have this within your heart for the right reason. It's like at the very beginning I said, how many of you have had kids that obey you but in their heart wasn't in it? <laughs> what God is looking for isn't perfection. It isn't. What God is looking for is a heart that is turned to him. How many of you want hearts that are turned to him? I want my heart to hurt for what hurts God. And a lot of times that's me. I hurt God by, by going and doing something I shouldn't have, by not following him and his ways, by not listening to, to what he has for me. So it's not just about doing, it's about about connecting with God himself. And that's, that's what he wants to do. There's, there's this line I stumbled across. It says, if you're not hungry for God, and this really cut, cut me, if you're not hungry for God, you're probably full of yourself. 
(laughs) If you're not hungry for God, you're probably full of yourself. Too often, I'm full of myself. I'm not even hearing from Him. I'm I'm not waiting on Him. I'm not allowing Him to speak to me. I'm not waiting for Him first and foremost. And I'm going about my own way first. It says to acknowledge Him. And He will what? Direct. He'll make your path straight. Acknowledge Him. I was in prayer this week, and that just, I, I was calling out to God, and, and, and I, was, I was asking Him to, to speak to me, and it's almost like He just blared that verse right back in my head. You ever have something like that happen before? You probably have. It's almost like God was just saying, look, dude, you're not acknowledging me in all your ways. How would you expect your path to be straight? How could you be all right if you're not submitting everything to Jesus first and foremost? That means instead of of viewing the the list of things I must do, I'm looking to Jesus first and say, what's first? You know, we can have our our morning prayer and we can have our devotion and we can read our through Jesus calling and and we can have our prayer at night and we can pray over our meals and we can do all those good and, and and just things and they're right and they're good and we can never get past the surface level of our relationship with God in scripture uh, Paul talks about getting to the point in prayer where he is groaning out where he is, is stopping and listening, where he's in intercession. That's what the word really is. Intercession, a deep pleading with God. How many of us spend enough time in, in prayer and in his word to, to hear from him that way or to get to that point where we're in the deep pleading with God? It was my wife's birthday this week. And uh, she reminded me of what I did for her the first birthday we were together. It was a really mean thing to do, <laughs> her telling me what I did. I remember I had a little bit more time on my hand. Obviously, I didn't have kids yet or anything like that. And I was probably a whole lot more romantic. <laughs> I got the keys to her car, I think, from from uh, mom here, her mom, and uh, I blew up balloons, one for every year that she was, and I wrote a reason inside of everyone, stuffed them with uh, reasons I loved her, and they're very specific. And I loaded those in her car so she couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> and uh, so she came out in the morning to this car. I snuck in at like one in the morning. I was afraid the cops were going to get me. And all this. Anyways, so I, I did this, and, and I had kind of forgotten about that. I realize that as time goes on and as, as we get more normalized in our relationships with, with our husbands and our wives, with each other, even with Jesus, we start to take certain things like our presence for granted. And, and I don't do a whole lot of things like loading her car with balloons right now. <laughs> she said, please don't. Yeah, it's, the relationship's matured a little bit. And there's different ways that I show my love and compassion, but sometimes we lose focus in the relationship that matters most with Jesus Christ. And we lose that hunger and that thirst for Him. And, and we go through what I call spiritual starvation. 
If you look, I want to read to you a few of the things that happen in physical starvation because I think they, they can play out a little bit in spiritual starvation. Okay, so early symptoms of starvation. And maybe some of you are going through these right now because you haven't had a donut in two hours. Um, <laughs> early, no. Early symptoms include impulsivity, irritability, hyperactivity, and other symptoms. Atrophy, which is wasting away of muscles and other things. Atrophy of the stomach also weakens the perception of hunger. So eventually, if you go too long being hungry, what? You lose your sense of hunger. Since the perception is controlled by the percentage of the stomach that is empty. And then victims of starvation are often too weak to sense thirst, and therefore they become dehydrated. And all the movements become painful due to the muscle atrophy and dry, cracked skin that is caused by severe dehydration. The weakened body takes place, and then disease can come in, and actually fungi can run through your whole, that's gross, fungi can run through your whole body, and you get this infection. It's interesting to me that you can be so hungry that you don't think you're hungry. You can be so thirsty that you don't think you're thirsty. What you've done is you've forgotten what it was like. There's a song that uh, used to sing in church as a, a little kid, I remember it. And I, was, I think it was my favorite song growing up. It was, maybe you know, as the deer panteth for the water. Anyone know that? So my soul longeth after you. As the deer needs the water, as, as I have to be drawn towards it, that's the way my soul is. I just can't. I can't stop. I need this. And, and I've seen this in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, where I've gone so long. You know, maybe I read the Bible. I have my little prayer time. I, I go through the Word, but it's all to accomplish something, to check it off the to-done list, right? And, and I'm going through that. And what I've got to do is stop and say, this is real. This is a relationship. And I need Jesus. And I'm hungry for a deeper relationship with Him. And I'm thirsty to know Him more. In Scripture, it talks about laying prostate before God where you just lay out on the floor. And, and in that action and in that prayer, there is something that is so submissive because you're saying, God, I have nothing and I bring nothing and I'm nothing apart from you. What God wants us to do is draw closer to him. Amen. But I want you to realize that God is pursuing you this whole time. He's just waiting. I'm a, I'm a preacher, so sometimes I don't know when to shut up. <laughs> and the same thing happens in my prayer life. I can talk a lot, and then I forget to listen. Listen. See, God already knows what's going on with me, right? God already knows everything that's going on in my life. It's not like God's up there and I start praying. And he goes, whoa, I did not see that coming. Ben, I didn't know you were struggling with that. Like, he is not surprised. He's not surprised by how we feel. I mean, that's why we can really unload and say, God, I feel like you've abandoned me in this situation. I feel in despair. And we can say things like that because he's big enough to handle it and he's not surprised. What he's looking for is honesty from his kids. And when we're honest before him and we say we failed him, we haven't accomplished what we're supposed to do and, and most we failed in relationship with him, then what he does is he can pick us back up and draw us back into that. 
And he can start to increase the hunger for righteousness. And he can start to increase your love for him. Because that's what we have to have, is that thirst for God. That hunger for his word. And that hunger to have something fresh come into us, something to speak into us, because we can't just wait until Sunday to get what we need in worship. We have to be eating three meals a day, four meals a day. I need six or seven spiritual meals a day because I am that bad off. God wants to draw you into that. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. His righteousness. His righteousness. So, does that mean that we go off and become nuns? We go off and become monks. We, we hide away and, from the world and just get into a little prayer cocoon and, and, and live in that. No, 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 no. What it means is we have to have a lifestyle of living in that. And as we go out into the world, we aren't impacted by the negativity around us as much. Instead, we're resting in His righteousness and we're allowing Him to speak into us because our hunger and thirst is first for Him. And when we have our priorities straight, then we don't start collecting idols around us. We don't start picking up things of the world and saying, well, I want this just as bad as everyone else and I need this just as bad. No, instead, we realize that our main goal, our primary responsibility is relationship with Jesus Christ. And a hunger for that. And remember, if we're not hungry and if we're not thirsty anymore, we're probably full of ourselves. And then that takes us back to the verses that we read earlier in Matthew, because this all builds upon itself. Realize these are not by themselves. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So those that mourn, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, people that realize their spiritual inadequacy, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And only if we're in that category, only if we've marched through this already, can we get to the point where blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because if we don't have those verses from three on, then what we don't know is our depravity. What we don't know is that we need it. What we don't know is that we're hungry. We're like the person who doesn't know they're starving to death. Now, I say this as a, a word of encouragement because I don't believe that we're there, amen? I believe that God has given you hunger. I believe that he has given you thirst. I believe that that's why you're here, and I'm preaching to the choir right now, right? But guys, we can always get a little bit more of Jesus. We can always get a little bit more hungry. We can always work up our appetite just a little bit more. Because we're not going to get satisfied by the world. This is what I've realized, that it isn't a Facebook message. It isn't a little tweet to God to say, hey, God, help me in this. We're not praying to a magical genie in the sky that's going to grant our wishes. What he is longing for, what, what he has already asked us to do, and it says that, that he's coming towards us, he's pursuing us through his spirit. What he's asking us to do is to seek his face. To shut down the noise around To even ask for his help in our prayer because we can become distracted. 
and to say, God, I need to hear from you. And then we get quiet before the Lord and we wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Guys, I'm tired sometimes. I don't know about you. The world's a hard place. As we get down and as we humble ourselves before the Lord, There we go. Okay. <laughs> John 4.34. This is what Jesus said his food was. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he goes on to talk about evangelism here. But realize, before Jesus ever went out and did his work, before he ever preached, before he ever went out and did the work of the day, he spent time with the Father in prayer. We can't, we can't just do. We have to dwell. We have to be dwellers in the presence of God. We have to have that hunger and thirst for His righteousness. And then all of those things will be added unto us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, uh, this, this message has hit me hard this week. This, is, this has been corrective for me because I, I get so caught up in, in things to do, places to be. And, and all the while, just kind of moving past my time with you and, and getting it done, but not dwelling in it. God, I confess that I need you every moment. Lord, I pray over all of us individually that we would have a new hunger and a new thirst for you that we would continue. We wouldn't wait until next Sunday to open up our Bible or we wouldn't wait uh, till, till midweek to, to dwell on something that you've told us or to just wait and to sit and give you space to speak to us. God, there are voices around us all the time, things that we're hearing, things that are in our head and, and, and external things that are happening all the time. That, that we have to deal with, that are constantly vying for our attention, God, but help us to put our hope and our trust and our faith and our time and focus first and foremost in you, Jesus. And you can start to establish a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of hope, and a thirst for righteousness. stuff starts coming around side of it. That is the one thing. We hope that this message will help guide you toward positive, Christ-centered change. By reviewing this podcast, you could be part of spreading the good news. Please also consider giving a donation to our ministry at cometoabc.com slash giving. As always, these messages are available to copy and share on social networks. Until next time, continue to grow in Jesus.